Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. We have Rachel Moran back on today's episode. She's an Irish journalist, and she's also the International Director of Policy and Advocacy at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. If you did not listen last week, start there and then join us here. You'll hear her entire bio on the episode from last week. We were talking about the problems with consent as it is explained and described in the general population and how that is in so many ways endangering victims of abuse. So we'll start there. Back again to that term consent, people will simply look at it and say, oh, but she consented, so what's the harm? Or, oh, but she consented, so she has nobody to blame but herself. And that's another really dangerous aspect of the term consent, the way that it's used to excuse you know, so it's it's used in all sorts of, of harmful ways, and that's one of them. Women who are in an abusive marriage, their husband is abusive, the same argument could be used, well, she consented to be married to him. Yeah, and also she didn't leave. Then she's, what, by default consenting to be emotionally and psychologically abused? No. She did think that she was in a relationship with a man who cared about her. She did not realize she was in a transactionship with a man who was interested in using and exploiting her. Mm -hmm. So you would say mutuality. So how would you use the term mutuality? Oh, well, that would very much depend on the context. It's not a word that you can switch out directly for consent in most instances, although you can sometimes, of course. You can say, well, the sex was mutual as readily as you can say well the sex was consensual but they have those subtle but very important distinctions between them give me a few of them now if you like because it might be interesting for your listeners to think about how they can use this i agree with you this this consent word has really messed people up because they think well i did consent because i said yes not thinking but i didn't really want to do it or i didn't feel comfortable so I'm thinking if a way to use the word mutuality really did mean that you were actively desiring it, maybe something like the husband and wife were 
talking and they felt really close to each other. Both of them were really interested in physical touch because they were both feeling safe. And she was safe because he was honest and trustworthy and actually cared about her. And so the sex was based on mutuality. I mean, is that the kind of thing that you would Mm -hmm. say? Rather than saying the husband and wife went on a date and then, of course, she consented to have sex. Part of me is hearing from you kind of that it would take a little bit longer when we talk about it to actually describe mutuality because it's more than just someone saying yes. It involves so much more that there's no way to just say And so then she mutualityed, right? Where you can say, and then she consented. Well, you can say just as briefly, the sex was mutual. It doesn't have to be a big, long-winded. We don't have to make it more complicated than it needs to be. But I do think that we're going to have to really push for this. Like, we're going to have to actively put this into conversations and also explain why yeah because people are gonna keep on circling back to the whole consent thing i mean it's not the boulder up a hill scenario that it might seem like like 50 years ago nobody was talking about sexual consent some idiot of a feminist came along and thought that was a good idea and it took off same thing happened with the term sex work which is just appalling But I do think we can and we should introduce mutuality deliberately into our conversations. And it doesn't have to be that hard. So when we're talking about male entitlement and this sense that men are entitled to use women's bodies and this entitlement is fueling prostitution, which is increasing sex trafficking, it's fueling sex trafficking and prostitution because so many victims of sex trafficking and prostitution are filmed. And then that documented filming of their abuse is called by the general public pornography, but we know it's just documentation of sexual abuse. In a very real way, we're all harmed because society itself is harmed. Clearly the individual who's on the receiving end that I harm is the person who's harmed first and foremost, but we're all harmed by this. Any mother who's ever brought a little boy into this world has seen the progression of that child and the difference in his innocence pre and post puberty the difference between a little boy who's eight or nine and the same child at 13 or 14 when the the social phenomenon of masculization kicks in and he's at the receiving end of a strange sort of bullying from his peers that forces his personality into hiding. And that's all part of this. Back to the the conversation about male sexual entitlement. First of all, that's bred into men when they're boys. It doesn't just appear. And there's something really strange that I've noticed about it, too, is that it's not enough for these young men. I mean, you have a whole movement of them now. I'm sure you know they call themselves incels, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. involuntary celibates for anybody who hasn't heard. Any one of those young men could go 
and pay to assault a woman and it is assault in a brothel but it's not enough for them that women's physical selves are available to them because they are to every man in america and everywhere else that's not enough for them i've noticed this it's really strange they also want to be wanted they demand to be wanted they feel very hard done by to the point where some of them are even willing to murder because they're not wanted. I think that that takes entitlement to a very strange place and we seem to be witnessing something that is larger Mm -hmm. than anything that I I think we've ever seen throughout history. Wait, wait, wait. I just sit around playing video games all day and all I eat is like a monster energy drink and you are not interested in talking to me. <laughs> like not only should you want to have sex with me, which I'm entitled to, but you should also want to be with me and maybe clean up my mess and maybe help me out. And why in the world would you not think I'm awesome? Kind of an idea. Yeah. Th- this is what we're up against. You know, we've some, I think, We've somehow created as a society this kind of distortion um, in the minds of young men, well before they ever were young men, because this starts, like I said, in, in boyhood. And it's just like that. They think they can sit in their mother's spare room and eat Doritos all day, maybe call a pizza and play video games. And when they're not chatting about what a shower of women are for not wanting to sleep with them on the regular It's just wall-to-wall entitlement. It's a really hardcore entitlement. Some men take that to the level of a a psychosis of entitlement. We just saw the first murder here in Ireland since the passage of the Nordic model, which was implemented six years ago. There was a woman murdered here only a couple of weeks back, a Muslim woman from Romania. She'd only been living in Ireland for three weeks at the time that she was killed. She was killed by a Middle Eastern man who had only been here a couple of months. You'd have to be a flat fool or living under a rock or something not to realise that this was one of those very ugly male-on-female examples of violence from Islamic extremists that are referred sometimes to as honour killings. He killed her because... She was a Muslim woman in a brothel in the Western world, sleeping with the infidels. This is what his whole thinking was. He was arrested the next day up in Belfast. He'd skipped across the border. He was arguing that he would have to be granted bail because he couldn't possibly have his religious convictions pandered to if he was detained in prison. So here's this guy talking about, you know, his his faith in Allah needing to be respected after he's just butchered this poor woman. He he didn't turn up there for a sexual encounter. He killed her in one minute, 57 seconds. That's how long it took him to arrive at her apartment, walk in, murder her and leave under two minutes. It exemplifies the level and the nature of the brutality that we're dealing with. It's reminding me of a book I recently read, and it's on our website, wetara.org. If you go to our website, you can find a curated list of books that we recommend. This one is called Men Who Hate Women, From Incels to Pickup Artists, 
The Truth About Extreme Misogyny and How It Affects Us All. It's by Lara Bates. It is excellent. It's talking about this type of extreme misogyny that leads to physical violence. She's talking about um, murders like the one that you just described, but also domestic abuse, not just physical, although it definitely includes that, but also all the emotional and psychological abuse that women endure from men who believe that they're entitled to women's bodies, but also their labor. They really genuinely feel like you owe me this because you're just a woman and I'm a man. As victims of this type of abuse, the only thing that we can do is get to safety, start making our way to emotional safety, psychological safety, make sure that the people that we are around are safe, actual caring people rather than people who want to exploit us and or see us as sort of a good or service that they can exchange with. What are your thoughts about how to change this mentality, knowing that women who listen to this podcast have no ability, right, to change the the mentality of the abusers out there. But do you have any thoughts about it from your experience as to how abusers could maybe see things a different way so that they would stop viewing women as sexual objects or people to be exploited? Well, I think, first of all, that every woman ought to join the women's movement. It's absolutely untrue that we don't have it within our gift to affect change. You know, everybody has their, their voice to raise and their their presence to bring. Every last one of us are really valid and, and relevant in that respect because if every woman who's ever been really hurt and harmed was to bring her own voice in her own way, whatever that is, to the women's movement, we would have... A, a very, very, very big movement. <laughs> you know, most of the women on earth would be involved in that movement. Yeah. Another thing, this is really obscure for most women and for understandable reasons. But I truly believe that as long as we have prostitution on this earth, we will always have violence against women. Absolutely agree with you. Yes, yes. Some people think that you can contain violence against women by directing it towards one group of women and that those women can or should, for the greater good of most women, be served up as some kind of human shield. I have heard women make remarks along those lines that would so, so clearly believe that some segment of us should be used to absorb men's violence. Really? You've heard that? Oh, absolutely. That's crazy. You see, here's where those women are really very silly in their thinking, is that as long as we have a segment of women who are seen to be the human shields of sexual violence, what you're doing there is condoning the violence, accepting that since it needs a direction to go in, it has a right to exist in the first place. When we talk about eradicating violence against women, we're starting from the wrong perspective. We're thinking about a well-heeled middle-class housewife, for example. And don't misunderstand me, please. I'm not suggesting that anyone deserves violence any more or less than anybody else. What I'm saying is that when we think about violence against women, 
We think about young women in nightclubs. We think about victims of domestic violence. We think about women who are abused, harassed, stalked, etc. But we put all of our focus on what you might call civilian women. And we don't think about the women who are at the absolute outer rim of the margins of society. And I truly believe that that's where we need to start. We need to start at that outer rim. Because if we start our work on this issue with the mentality that no woman anywhere, no matter how disadvantaged, no matter how marginalized, deserves that kind of abuse, no woman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, then that will sweep across society as an understanding, I believe, far, far quicker. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation this idea that that some women should be sacrificed or something for the greater good of women i sorry i've never heard of that before so i'm like oh that's a very old idea i'm absolutely shocked that anyone would ever think that but it also kind of gives the idea that they must be because men deserve it heaven forbid men not have a way to abuse women because that's going to happen whether we like it or not i'm trying to like speak as they might speak we're forced to have to sacrifice someone rather than thinking men do not have to exploit women that's not a male characteristic they could not exploit women they could treat women with respect it sort of gives men an out because they're not viewing men as capable caring human beings that somehow their nature is to exploit and so we have to sacrifice some women so that men don't I don't know what turn into cannibals or something do you know what I mean that just sounds crazy I do know what you mean and I think the crux of the problem is that a lot of people including women have come to by the propaganda of male sexual desire as an unstoppable force what men do constantly around their own sexual desires is that they mistake them for needs. That to me speaks to a state of sexual toddlerhood. Yeah. In toddlerhood, at some point when a child gets to around the age of three and a half or so, at that stage, you really need to clarify upon the psyche of the child, the difference between a want and a need. You want the ice cream. You don't need it. There is a difference. It's a sorry state we're in in the world when we have so many grown men who really ought to know better, not understanding the basic distinction between a want and a need. And that's something that we're really going to have to clarify before we get any sense out of such people. But there are women, and it's important to say this, who play that game and play along with it Mm -hmm. and cause great harm in doing so. That's been clearly exemplified to me by the women who take their sons to brothels and convince themselves that there's a real and genuine need to take a a young man or a teenage boy to a brothel. Those women make me exceptionally angry. 
in our community, I would say that a, not a majority, but I've heard many, many, many women who their mother-in-laws would fit this category where their mother-in-law is like, my son has these intense sexual needs and it is your job to give it to him. If you don't give it to him, he has to get it somewhere. So of course he's going to view pornography. So it's your fault that he views pornography or it's your fault that he abuses and exploits prostitutes. It's your fault because he has these sexual needs and you're not meeting them. So many women are traumatized by their mother-in-laws who feel this way. Sounds like the mother-in-law from hell. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, not every woman can, or rather, not every woman thinks she can really speak up for herself in these circumstances. If I had any advice to anybody listening who was struggling with with a situation like that, I suppose I would say, really, you need to stand your ground. Accepting that kind of nonsense from somebody will destroy absolutely every relationship in your life. Most importantly, your relationship with your own self. There comes a point in our lives where we have to put the relationship with ourselves front and center. And if that means the collapse of a marriage, so be it. You know, because if a marriage is under that kind of pressure to begin with, it's a pretty good indication that it's best off collapsed. Well, that and I'm like going back to that discussion we had about consent in my opinion, it's not a marriage. It's a transactionship where you're being exploited. That's a totally different thing than what marriage should be, which is a partnership. It is mm -hmm. not that. And so you're not collapsing a marriage. You are getting to safety from a very unsafe situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Your insights are invaluable, and I really, really appreciate your thoughts. You're very welcome. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 